Kieran. I'm Hannah. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Kieran. How's it going? It's, you know, school, school and life and politics. School and life and politics. Um, we have had classes canceled because of Hurricane Florence, which is a total joke because it never actually came here. Mm -hmm. We've gotten a bunch of rain, but we're kind of outside the path so far. Um, so I have been taking a lot of naps. That seems good. Yeah. That seems, that seems nice. I had EMDR yesterday and I'm, I've only just started it. Um, this is like my second or third session and gosh, it's really, really good, but it's like decreased my anxiety levels so that, um, I have to like overcompensate with my executive functioning now Oh, because that's what used to keep me going on all of my to-do lists. And now I'm just like, Hmm, maybe I'll nap. (laughs) I feel like I should try that, but also maybe I shouldn't. Um, because anxiety is also why I get my schoolwork done on time. I think that it stops me from dissociating. It's really incredible. I re- really strongly recommend it. Yeah, that would be good. I've like, I've been less disassociated since I got my uterus out, but being even less disassociated than that would probably be better. Right. Right. Um, it just, I have a, a easier time focusing. Um, yeah, it's been really good. I feel like I'm also, um, I don't know if this is just me in my perception of it, but I also feel like in social situations, I can regulate and modulate myself to like match the tone of things as opposed to like overshooting or undershooting. Um, uh. because like the anxiety is less. That makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I should I should try this. You should try this. It's really good. So one of the the books I'm reading right now for school um, referenced Andre Sue um, and her op eds in World Magazine, and I was like thrown for this massive, massive um, like memory lane flashback of. Like, all the times that I sat in the bathroom pooping and reading World Magazine and going directly to her column because it was, like, Mm -hmm. the most interesting thing in there and written by a single woman who, like, knew the Bible really well and was taken seriously by all the dudes. Yeah, that's, like, really rare and shocking. Um, we got a question this week on Twitter. Yeah, we did. You wanna, you wanna get into that? This kinda, this kinda relates to... Um, how rare yeah somebody was asking (laughs) not us specifically but someone tagged us into it um about what long hair and head coverings is all about and and like in christian fundamentalism and and i remember head coverings being a huge part of like my family's life and long hair the debate goes like really far back about whether or not the hair is the head covering or if you need an extra one. Right. But yes. what are we what are we even talking about? What is <laughs> what is with the long hair? Why would we th- 
think that there's a question about whether or not the hair is the covering. Well, I guess we have to like define what headship is to get going. Yeah. Um, okay, so this all goes back to gender roles, and this is part of why Andre C is interesting, and why this question is interesting, and why who we are now is a, such an affront to who we used to be. The whole school of thought around taking the Bible literally um, creates some interesting situations, and some of the interpretations of some of the more poetic passages about creation and men and women and um setting up that as a as a like cut and dried binary um some of those verses like really put men in like distinct authority over women and i mean who's surprised you that's like pretty classic you know nomadic judeo-christian people group thing like that's not a big that's not a surprise but um I guess Abrahamic religion thing is more what I meant. Um, but the the literal interpretation of this when it comes into today's society um, is interpreted in some really weird ways in, like, modern fundamentalism. So you have what we call headship theology. We have the more um, sterilized household term complementarianism Um and all these things kind of date back to a, a reaction against so-called second-wave feminism in the church, where um, women were getting more rights politically, and the church um, being, you know, afraid of change as usual, um, was trying to stamp that out. And so in eight, 1987, the um, Council on biblical manhood and womanhood was formed and they issued the Danvers Statement, which is the predecessor for the statement on social justice that we covered last week. Um, and it basically, like, denounces feminism as non-biblical and gets into a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah, and I remember people specifically having a problem with women wanting to be pastors and speak in the church. And so... What we're doing is clawing at the Bible for reasons to, like, make women be submissive. Um, and so I feel like a lot of this, at least as it relates to kind of the hair stuff, comes from 1 Corinthians 11, um, and it's like 2 to 16. Do you want to read it? Where all of this is. I mean, I don't want to read it, but I'm going to read it. <laughs> Uh, I, I got me, uh, the goddess, rest your soul. Yeah. Uh, and I'm reading this in the King James because that's the purest, purest form. <laughs> uh, I'm and where so sorry. My father would disagree. <laughs> my parents and your parents would not get along. No, they really wouldn't. This is why we're no. friends. <laughs> like, I'm really glad they never met, to be honest. Mm. Um, all right. So 1 Corinthians 11... 2 to 16 is where a lot of this is pulled from, and I'm going to read it in the KGV, and then I'm going to need, like, a palate cleanser. You're going to go vomit. Um, yeah, I'm going to go get a shot of tequila and okay. be fine. All right. Uh, all right. So, 
Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth, with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is, that is even all one as if she were shaven. It's really hard to read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the last half of that sentence is basically, um, shaved heads are bad on women. Or, or it would be the same. Having not having her head not covered would be the same as having her head shaved, which is a shameful thing, as we are going to discover in like two seconds. Four, if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Oh my god, this is so much worse than I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) And you wonder why the Apostle Paul wasn't married. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. (laughs) Ah, alright, we're almost, we're almost there. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Oh yeah, because of the angels. Neither is the man without the woman, and neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. (laughs) Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for covering." And that's that is that is where we get head there's, coverings. There's like the phrasing in this version is so bad. It's so bad. It is. It's terrible. It's also incredibly homophobic, and I mean, like it just reflects the culture. It, it just reflects the cultural norms of the time. And the Apostle Paul was a misogynist, and like these things are pretty. Um, pretty obvious to anyone who's reading this for the first time um, outside of um, the church and who doesn't have this this background of growing up with this kind of passage being revered. Um, and then the passage you were mentioning before about um, women speaking in the church, um, I forget which epistle that's... I think that's in Timothy. Yeah, so basically the, the, the situation um, as most... Um, most liberal scholars have come to conclude is that the the women in that congregation in that particular congregation were um like gossiping in the back of the church so much that it disrupted the church service and that's why that particular situation was being addressed with the women should be silent um it was a like specific command to a specific context in a specific congregation and but when you t- interpret the bible literally without any historical context both of these passages become just 
cesspools for mm-hmm. uh, creative interpretation. But but not creative interpretation because scripture is clear on the matter and there's only, right. only one literal way that this can be interpreted. Yeah, so um, the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood um, in the Danvers Statement, one of their, their sub-points at the beginning of it is talking about the, quote, the increasing prevalence and acceptance of hermeneutical oddities devised to reinterpret apparently plain meanings of biblical texts. And you see this this phrase a lot, um, at least I did growing, growing up, the, the phrase scripture is clear. Um, that's always mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a, as a dog whistle for um, biblical infallibility and inheritability. Um, My parents loved that phrase. Inerrancy, not inheritability. The Bible is not irritable. Um, I mean. I am, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, inerrancy. So the, the, talking about the inerrancy of scripture, it's like this, this like literal interpretation and like one author as opposed to multiple authors. And um, I mean, we, I've talked about this ad nauseum already on this podcast, um, but I cannot emphasize enough how often things go back to when things get weird in the church. It goes back to reading the Bible literally and out of context. Um, and and mocking anyone who tries to apply place context. it. Yeah, apply context and nuance. And, um, and so you get like these phrases like b- hermeneutical oddities. Like it's, it's, a, it's just a knee-jerk response that kind of gets any casual layman reader to um to agree with the editorializing of an, mm-hmm. any opposing as position as like um trivial and stupid so it's it's this mocking it's not outright sta- heretical yeah it's this mocking stance on anyone else's opinion um to reinforce their own authority so um, and that goes back to like the the headship stuff. So like if you have this like biblical literal interpretation of scripture, um, anyone who doesn't do that, you're gonna consider heretic, and you're gonna say they don't have any authority over you in terms of like their interpretation of scripture. Um, oh, I got into this this fight a lot with my dad when I was courting because he said I wasn't biblically an adult, and you had this like we had this back and forth about what biblically an adult meant and if there was any like legal distinction about it and so i did like a five or six page like exegesis paper like researching like what adulthood represented in the old and new testaments um and i placed everything in context and he was like well we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this um because he didn't agree with my Approach because I was putting it in context, mm. and you get that kind of like dismissive attitude yep. um, everywhere in in these these fundamentalist circles where they believe in inerrancy of scripture. So um, the headship stuff like takes this literally, and they they create this kind of like diagram of like an umbrella where it's like God is the like <laughs> the big umbrella who's yep. protecting everybody and then underneath is this littler umbrella and it's the man and underneath is a smaller umbrella and it's the woman and underneath And then is, there's a bunch of little umbrellas and it's for the little children. children and if you step outside of God's covering you're going to get rained on you're in danger which is i guess yeah. 
a, yeah. the to- toxic sludge of, of the modern world is going to get you. Um, and so it's this idea of, like, the man is the one who interprets scripture. The man is the one who de- determines where family boundaries are and Makes moral- the decisions. De- defines morality. Yeah. My parents were extremely into the concept of the umbrella headship thing. Did you guys have... My dad liked to call it the umbrella of protection. Yeah. Did you guys have um, any systems for, like, appealing a decision that your parents made? No. My parents had a, like, this whole, like, thing. I guess we we learned it from some family friend. Um, But it was, like, if you thought that a, a decision was unfair, if you calmly and respectfully, keywords, came to the mm-hmm. parent who made the decision, read father, um, and said, may I make an appeal? He would consider it if he felt benevolent. And then usually he'd dismiss it and tell you why. But uh, that was the way you could like work within the headship system to maybe influence it to get your way. But you, you had to be really persuasive and you had to be like calm and logical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't have anything like that, really. Although, the power structure in my family was actually kind of matriarchal, but under the guise of patriarchy. So, like, my... my I don't remember where my parents learned the phrase. It was from some comedian where it was like, the man is the head, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. And that was exactly how my family worked. That's so, from, like, uh, really the decision was my mom. Yeah. Yeah. My mom loved that movie. It, it was I, I it loved, was weird. I kind of <laughs> loved that movie because that's how getting married felt <laughs> for me. Yeah. I understood it later after I watched it like as an adult, but when I saw it, my mom like watched it while, while I was still living there and it was like this is really weird and confusing. Yeah. But yeah, so that was sort of how it worked. So like my mom would really be the person that you needed to convince which well, it's was like just the the women has has soft power. The women had the woman like if okay. So we we gotta before we get into this, we gotta define gender roles here. <laughs> yeah, um, because like that informs this. Like the soft power is is the woman is responsible for the household and the children, um, the administrative tasks in the family. The woman does all the emotional labor of, like, keeping track of everyone's birthdays and favorite foods and allergies and, like, when your mother said she wanted to visit and making sure, you know. Basically the secretary. We're keeping up with stuff at church correctly and so and so needs to go to the dentist and get his vaccine or not. Um, (laughs) But, um, and the father's the one who, like, has veto power. Um, yep. I, one family I knew had a, a running gag calling the father the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Like, he had the purse strings and the mother had the, like, um, middle management job. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would have to, like, go to him to get financial things approved or disapproved and, like, make a case for it. Um, I remember my mom having to do that for, like, new shoes for my brothers or... No, oh my gosh, so many things. But and just like, yeah, this is why this person needs this now, and this is why it's going to cost this much as opposed to that much. And um, 
there was this complicated process. Yeah. My dad, like, basically his role was to be the provider and the protector. So, like, he made the money and made all of the, like, he was, like, the backstop. So he and mom would kind of make decisions together. But he was the one who, like, was responsible for the decisions and was, like, where the buck stopped. And, um, but my mom was the one who was basically in control of finances. She was the one who was on top of taxes. She was the one who was on top of paying bills. Uh, she was the one who would be like, hey, we're not going to be able to pay the mortgage this month, so you should work on Saturday. (laughs) My mom was the one who was always much better with money than my dad, but... At some point, I remember when maybe when my brother was born, um, probably like two thousand, like not two thousand ninety four, ninety five, somewhere in there. My dad, like for my mom's birthday, gave her the gift of like relieving her from financial duty. Oh, which is, yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, it's just his stuff is so bad. So okay, so yeah. what are what are the gender roles, um, and how, like how does the complementarianism, like as a word, what does it mean? Uh, so that goes back to the theory that I don't remember where they pulled it from, um, but the the woman exists to serve the man and to be oh it's from the helpmeet verse, it's from being a helpmeet. Oh yeah, uh, the woman is supposed to be the helpmeet to the man who is the one who is you know carrying the burden of making all of the decisions. Right. So that the man is the one who has all of the responsibility and is the one who's answerable to God for whatever mm-hmm. happens with the family. Um, and the mom is supposed to, or the wife is supposed to, like smooth things carry over it out. fill in the gaps and like yeah carry it out ex- execute it and support him yep and that's why they're like it's not equal but different because you couldn't have one without the other because you obviously need one person to do all of the this thing and the other person to do all of that thing yeah it's i mean the way the way they they like talk about it it sounds like this yin yang like the symbiotic like men take on this women take on this men are initiators women are receivers and it's all very freudian and explicit um but it also um it also doesn't work because in terms of like accountability yeah the responsibility the burden of the decision is on the man's shoulders forever like yep and there's no way to come at it equally like there's there's no structure in here for an equal partnership. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I have seen women backlead these marriages. Um, the women who really, you know, craved authority. But I've also seen yep. more passive codependent women um, take advantage of that to really um, infantilize themselves intellectually and avoid taking responsibility for any decisions and avoid um, actually having to learn about how the world works, Um, which is really interesting and toxic, but. Yeah, like my parents used sort of that to like reason about why we didn't need to learn things. 
It's like, well, your place is in the home and it's so much better to be a girl because you don't have to make decisions. And like decisions are such hard work and nobody wants that. And and you don't want to have to carry the responsibility for that. And so they created this environment that did just infantilize everybody. And that's part of how they sold courtship, too, is it's like you don't have to do the work of finding your person. Your person will find you. Mm-hmm. Or if you pray hard enough, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's this like real like culture of intellectual abdication of responsibility in terms of consequences in the world. Like I've seen people make really stupid financial or career decisions. Um, I know, for example, like a family might have you know nine kids and not have a stable. The dad might not have a stable job, and the mom's not allowed to have a job outside the home because her job is at the home, and yep. they they can't feed everybody and they can't take care of someone if someone gets sick. And this is something that like got a trial that God is calling them to weather, not a bad decision that they made. That is literally my entire childhood. Yeah, is a series of bad decisions that my parents made. Well, that it tra- then is a trial. What chalks it up, it, like it, it goes back to headship, is like, well, God is the authority and he's calling us to live this way where we don't have birth control and we welcome children yep. as a blessing and the woman doesn't make decisions because she's not supposed to because that's, you know, that's too masculine. And and it just like, it, it kind of extrapolates out. Um, obviously, this is like a very simplistic caricature of this world i know complimentarians not who, would take, who would take offense at this but this is how it practically works in a lot of situations yeah like there's more there's more nuance to the idea of it but on the ground that's how it works do you remember um i don't know if you ever read the book the little booklet they they john piper put out about like biblical manhood and womanhood and what it meant i and think it had, i like, the, like the, tried the list of it had like the list of jobs in the back that were appropriate for women. No, I didn't get oh. that far. I'll, if I can find it, I think it's a PDF. I think I can probably find it to link to this. But there's like this list of like situations that would be uh, positions of authority that would, it would be biblically inappropriate for a woman to have. Mm-hmm. They're like situations like a woman is a CEO and she has a male secretary. Like that's bad. Yep. That kind of stuff. I remember. So this, the way it played out, uh, when I was a teenager, because I was active in politics, which is like not a thing where women should be. Um, And so the rules that I had to abide by were that um, I could never be in a position of authority over a man. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't ever be a director or um, a campaign manager. That's the word I was looking for. or or in any or I couldn't run for office. I couldn't be a leg- I could be a secretary. Uh, I did wind up being a volunteer coordinator, which did sort of loose, loosely put me uh, in authority over men because I was telling them where to go, but I wasn't telling them what to do. Yeah. Um, and and I was just always limited because I was only ever allowed to work under men. And if I worked under a woman, she had to be working under a man. Did you um, ever run into a situation where it was super clear that the woman was the one in charge, but they had like kind of finagled it to like have a man as a figurehead? I feel like I have. I feel like I have too. I feel like I did. It reminds me of the the Bible story of Deborah, right? The judge. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, a 
an example that like gets called up a lot in this conversation where um like the Israelites need a general to go to war. God that was speaking yeah. to the to the people through a prophetess, um, Deborah, um, because there was no man who was willing to listen to God at that point. So he went through a woman, and then this woman goes to like this this uh, warrior, and it's like God wants you to be the general, and he's like, I'm scared, and so she's like, Cool, I'm gonna lead the army into battle, even though she's just like a housewife or something. She wasn't, yeah. but I, that was the way it was. <laughs> that's the way it was framed, and she triumphs over the enemy. And the man like is her supporting sidekick, and God like shames him at the end of the battle with this like you know like Israel like needs a man to lead, and you wouldn't do it, and that's the only reason we let this dude yeah. her lead to like shame you through having her lead you, and it's. Like, the way it's always framed is women are allowed to lead if all the men abdicate responsibility yep. and if all the men... Only as a last fail. resort. Only as a last resort. Yeah, that was how uh, Palin was explained as okay, was it was a Deborah situation where everyone else was just not stepping up. So that's why she was okay. Who else could have stepped up to fill her shoes? I feel like almost anyone else could have been better. Literally anybody. Literally anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah so sarah palin modern day deborah um let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll um get directly to the question about head coverings and we'll answer another uh listener question yes so did you know that I am actually an excellent ballroom and swing dancer? No, but this doesn't surprise me. Um, not only did I do worship dance once upon a time for a very long time, um, but I w- was participating in a Christian cotillion um, that was mostly populated with homeschoolers. And the reason that was okay by all the parents is because, one, um, all the dads attended and were participating and two um the whole idea was it's a great place to practically practice leading and following which will Mm. teach the men leadership skills and initiative if they have to like practice asking girls to dance and girls have to practice submission and following by following clumsy teenage boys around the dance floor oh my god um yeah so this was a whole this was a whole thing and they had all these like um like little like gender role lectures that went with every lesson um there are all these jokes that like all these uh mnemonics for remembering little tricks like in in most like box steps um the man leads forward with his right his left foot to go first Mm -hmm. and the woman moves back with her right foot and um and they were like you know women always like lead with the right foot because they're always right but like i don't know there are all these all these little gags um the whole thing is just appropriating classic like 1950s like misogyny and patriarchy Mm -hmm. and adapting it to complementarianism which is kind of what complementarianism is anyway 
yeah, that's not really like there's I don't know that you could make a differentiation very well. It's it's pretty similar. So did you wear a head covering to church? I did. My parents went through this stage where we actually experienced kind of like, well, we experienced all the stages of head coverings, which is first, my parents were like, that's ridiculous, obviously hair. And then <laughs> my parents read the King James some more. Um, and I don't know who they talked to. And then they were like, mm, no, I do feel like God is saying we should have head covering. So then um, they, for a bit, they tried to make all of us girls wear head coverings. And let me tell you about trying to put head coverings on toddlers. No. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't it's difficult. work. <laughs> it's, it doesn't stay. So they didn't start at puberty. They did it for everybody. Yeah, they tried that, and then they realized that was a mistake. Um, and so then they were like, okay, well, maybe the children don't have to do it. Uh, it will just be the adults. So my mom did one, and I wanted to be an adult, so I also wore one. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, what I wound up doing, I actually wore head coverings longer than my mom did because they eventually came around to the other side where they were like, no, you can read it as, as long as you have long hair, that's a covering, which is why I was also never allowed to cut my hair short. Interesting. <laughs> which is why my so hair my is family, short now. Maybe this is because my father didn't have us reading the King James Version, um, but we read that passage as metaphorical, as reinstating complementarianism. Um, so long hair wasn't required. Um, and head coverings were not required. Although at some points I definitely like felt like I wished that we were more like that, but that's just me being Anne Shirley obsessed Victorian wannabe, like, yeah, like more lace, the better. Um, for a minute when I was like 13 or 14. Um, but my dad definitely per personally preferred long hair. And I think all of the guys I knew, growing up did so there was like this like yep. kind of it's this like ancient symbol of like fertility and like health and like long healthy hair means that like you know you've got a good diet and like you can probably have babies but um you know in our our community it was kind of idealized and so there's like I had really long hair at some point but when I went away to college I cut it off right before I left and um I've never really had it that long since. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty happy with that. I had it long when I got married. One of the first things I did when I got divorced was gave myself, got a pixie cut, which yes. I think is a pretty classic, like massive breakup move, but also mm -hmm. like symbolized a lot more given our community in the context of like hair as a covering. Yeah. I was not allowed to decide what I wanted to do with my hair. My parents militantly controlled my hair and it bothered me forever. When my parents, like I have really thick, really heavy, really dark hair. Mm -hmm. And I lived in Florida and like having hair that is long and so dark brown, it's almost black and thick to the middle of my back was awful and I hated it 
and it was naughty and terrible and I had to wear it in a ponytail or a bun and then I would get migraines because it was so heavy. Oh yeah, I had friends who had that problem too. Well, my, yep. my hair is, is, I have a lot of it, but it's very fine. And so, I, I mean, I used to wear it up and I'd get headaches too, but not, not that bad. Yeah, eventually like it, I figured out how to make it be less of like a migraine problem. But yeah, so my parents like, had this rule where it could never be above my shoulder blades. So not 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 hmm. my shoulders, but like the, my shoulder like the blades. back of your shoulder blades. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um it has to be able to cover your tits. Right. And so when just in case uh, we, you know the, there's a fire and you have to leave I without mean, clothes like, on or <laughs> why would you not be wearing clothes in your house? You, you, shower, shower. you shower you you were yeah. never nude right yeah <laughs> unless you're in the shower yeah so that was like always a huge point of contention because it was just this thing that was awful and painful and i could never control it and my parents demanded control of it and they like uh so when i when they broke us up um what i did to retaliate was i cut my hair to my shoulders which uh-huh. was like three inches above what I was kind. allowed to cut it to. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was liberating. And I have just um, cut my hair shorter ever since. My parents were initially really angry. And then they decided that instead of having a rebellious child, they would just own it and be like, yeah, no, we let we let them cut their hair because um, they had they had a breakup and we thought that was fine and i oh, was like no so you did not <laughs> no you i was livid i was so angry i was like you don't get to do that this was my act of defiance you don't get to claim it i hate when these little moments get co-opted they're so like terrible. we're gonna be proud of you anyway because you we're gonna still pretend that you're in submission to us right my god yeah so, so I did, and I wore head coverings, and I wore them. Um, I wore them in a bow, so they didn't look like when you think of head coverings and you think of Amish women. Mm-hmm. I like had a ponytail, and then I wrapped a piece of fabric around it in a bow, and called that good because it was it was the intention that was there, but I didn't have to like stand out in a crowd too much. Except yeah, I so did. that's 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 the thing is <laughs> it'll be it'll vary a lot from group to group how that works i mean i i know some very conservative catholics who wear head coverings i know some um reformed presbyterians who will wear head coverings and and there's a whole variety of like ways it can look and it's it's very much like we're taking the the letter of the law um as simply as it can possibly be taken some things like you know a hair ribbon or mm-hmm. a piece of lace, a little like kind of looks like a little doily, like tied yep. to the ponytail or the bun, um, and then it can be like everything from to like up to full blown like scarves covering the head. Like if yep. you if a family went um, messianic Jewish in my world, they would often like start going in that direction and start looking like they had just walked out of the the set of Fiddler on the Roof. Yep. So I hope that answers your question about head coverings, guys. We have another question that we wanted to take on today. Yeah, this is something that we've been asked quite a bit recently. And we're going to put this up on um, 
our page, there's a an email exchange I had with a, a listener that we're going to, we got permission to put up um, on the website, but um, I guess it's probably time that we address the elephant in the room. So why don't we talk about the famous quiverful people that have TV shows? The famous quiverful people that have TV shows. Um, the Duggars and the Bates. They're kind of... They're easy reference points if I want to tell someone where I come from in, like, a 10-second conversation. I use it for shorthand with therapists or professionals that I'm meeting with if they need a background. I'm like, do you know of these families? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I come from. It's a, it's pretty convenient. But, um, so, Kieran, you were more involved in this, like, community blow-up when it happened with the speculation yeah. Um, you want to talk about that? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, some people were speculating about the like sexual orientation of the minors um, in one of these families or both of these families. I don't remember. And a lot of us alumni who were queer and closeted, if we even knew we were queer at the time when we were growing up, know mm-hmm. how dangerous it is for people outside of your immediate well anyone but people outside of your community to be speculating about your queerness because they're you are supposed to shun and avoid any appearance of evil you should give people no reason to think that you have anything to do with anything bad and queerness in this culture is evil I sat through so many speeches about how evil it was for boys to be effeminate at like a convention mm-hmm. and if it's your parents m- are on tv and there's speculation it comes it comes from there's a, a there's a passage i guess in one of the epistles to timothy as well about like what qualifies a man to be a, a pastor or an elder and it and it's like he has to have his house in order and it's this concept of moral um consistency uh, and like like familial integrity like the father is like exercising his authority correctly so everyone in his household is like falling in line along Mm -hmm. what he um believes to be true so like if a daughter is going around wearing a spaghetti strap top at church uh, some other family member or family might um like the mom or the dad might come over to the parents of the daughter with a spaghetti strap shirt and be like you know what's going on here she's in rebellion like what do you do like it, it becomes a reflection on the parents yep. like moral um fiber and their their faith and like whether or not they actually believe the things that they say they believe so if you have a queer kid or if you have a kid who's using drugs or dressing immodestly or is like dating and courting it becomes being this, a like, normal teenager really yeah it becomes this like concern um like that the parents are maybe not like true believers. So when that kind of concern happens, that what is, what's at stake? Like if, if somebody questions like the validity of your faith in that situation, what are, what do you stand to lose? Your entire community or access to resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you're like only outlet or one of the few outlets that you have to see people who are in your family. Mm-hmm. Like, 
and 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 your parents can make your life a million times worse by working you to the bone and nobody seeing or noticing or caring. Right. So if the parents feel like their faith is called into question by their community, they're going to double down on whatever authoritarian practices that they have. And so we having from personal experience know that to speculate about um the gender identity or sexuality of any of these kids who are kind of minor celebrities against their will and don't really have like a choice in this this family venture um they're at significant risk for abuse and And we already know that the suicide rate is much higher or the attempted rate is much higher for queer kids even more and we don't have the data for this if you're isolated and and in these communities, these are the kinds of people who will send their kids to conversion therapy camps, which are basically um, torture, systemic torture. Yeah, they're, they're systemic torture or organizations that will like torture you and break you to say that you're not queer anymore. And so in order to um, protect those like us, we can't really discuss these things on the or speculate about the Duggars or the Bates or um whatever their families are up to because it's just it's too dangerous for um kids in the system so if you know kids in in your community who are homeschoolers and you're wondering about these sorts of things what how should they people react how should they help them one don't bring attention to the minor who may or may not be queer Mm -hmm. um because you don't know how their parents are going to react. And two, be accepting of them however it is they like are expressing themselves. If they're being queer or feminine or acting like a normal teenager, just accept that. Accept them for who they are as people and don't project Yeah, I think treating kids as as people with autonomy and valid emotions and valid interests is pretty much um, revolutionary enough that that's, that's all you can safely do. And that's all you should safely do. Um, But that's incredibly powerful and liberating and affirming. Um, And so I, yeah, just be careful in these situations because you never know what's happening behind closed doors. The, the families that look the most perfect, the families that are um, the most polished are the ones that, in my experience, anecdotally in my experience, um, that have the most abuse going on behind closed doors and the darkest secrets. This is to sort of like bring this into something that happened in California recently. This is something we saw with the Turpins, who they took their entire massive family to Disney World and had smiles and everyone was like, oh, look, they're so happy. And I'm like... That's what they want you to think because they're hiding all of this and it's important to be aware. And the other thing that I wanted to throw out as another reason that like, I don't really want to talk about the famous Coverful families is because the people who haven't left or who are on their way out need a safe place and I want to be there for them and I don't want to like make them feel bad for something they couldn't control. Like, it's not their fault. 
and I don't I don't have any problem with them for being in that in in the family that they were born into. They can't help it. Now, to be clear, we're not saying that we believe that these families, these famous families, are abusive. Um, oh, there's been some accusations of some some things with one of the sons, and if you want to go down that rabbit hole, you can. And that that seemed to be pretty clearly abuse that was covered up but in terms of the parents like physically abusing the kids i don't we haven't seen any evidence we don't know maybe things are fine i hope things are fine um maybe everybody's actually really happy and that's awesome so we're not accusing anybody of anything but um just anecdotally speaking uh this is, seems to be the wiser decision mm-hmm. and it's important that like when they get the ability to leave, if they ever have that ability, that they know there's people here who will support them and are here for them and are part of their community as well. Yeah. And um, if you want to like read about people who've left communities like that, there's um, a memoir by one of the daughters of the Westboro Baptist Church group that um, I've heard good things about. I haven't read it myself. Um, but if you want to see what, what that experience looks like from the other side and like how someone in one of those kinds of highly publicized situations got out, um, that's where you should go look. But yeah, don't support the tabloids that exploit these kids. It's really gross. It's really gross. It's so gross. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Send us your questions. Join our Patreon. We will be hanging out with people um, in an After Dark episode soon, so come come join us and uh, BYOB. Yes. Bye. Bye.